So we continue in our sermon series on John 3.16. I am so excited about preaching this sermon. I'm almost giddy. I'm excited. Matter of fact, I woke up at 4 o'clock this morning. I could not get this out of my head. So I'm really jazzed up. Matter of fact, my friend uh, Tony, who um, is uh, my neighbor, Tony and Vivian, are here tonight or this morning. And I see Tony every single uh, morning. He's walking a dog, and I'm doing, my, I'm doing my jog. And I told Tony, I said, listen, you need to make sure you come to church today because I've got a really great sermon. So he's here, and I don't want to disappoint you, Tony. So thank you for being here. I'm glad that you showed up. Um, so, okay, so listen, I want to share with you, I, I've, I've got this great text this morning. It comes from 1 John, and it has everything about love comes from God. And so let me just begin here, and then we'll, we'll break all this down this morning. So here we go. So dear friends, uh, we should love each other because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has become God's child. And so everyone loves, who loves knows God. Any who does not love does not know God because God is love. Can I be meant on that? This is how God showed his love to us. He sent his only son to the world to give us life through him. True love is from God. God's love for us, not our love for God. He sent his son as the way to take away our sins. That is how much God loves us, dear friends. So we also must love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. If we love each other, God's love has reached its goal. It is made perfect in us. We love because God first loved us. If we say we love God, but hate any of our brothers and sisters and his family, we're just liars. If we don't love someone, we have we have seen, how can we love God? We have never even seen him. God gave us this command. If we love God, we must also love each other as brothers and sisters. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. So I want to begin with a quote. This actually is on page six in Lakeda's book. I, uh, I meant to share it last week, but I didn't get to it. So, you know, we have John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He says, you know, it's a 26-word parade of hope, beginning with God, ending with life, and urging us to do the same. Brief enough to write on a napkin or memorize it in a moment, yet solid enough to weather 2,000 years of storms and questions. If you know nothing of the Bible, start here. If you know everything in the Bible, return here. We all need the reminder, the heart of the human problem is the heart of the human. And God's treatment is prescribed in John 3, 16. He loved, he gave, we believe, we live. The words are to scripture what the Mississippi River is to America. An entryway into the heartland Believe or dismiss them, embrace or reject them, any serious consideration of Christ must include them. Wow, that's good. Um, I, I, was, I didn't realize this this week, but I, was, I did a little research on um, John Newton. You know, I, I don't know if you realize this, but John Newton, uh, you know, he was, uh, worked in the slave trade for many years, and he had a, had a conversion experience. And... Um, actually felt evidently a great deal of remorse um, because he was a part of the slave trade back in the 1700s in England. 
And so out of his Christian conversion, and what's very interesting is that he would take John 3.16 and then he would insert his name in it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, and then he put, instead of put whosoever, he put John Newton believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I thought that was actually pretty interesting. I mean, we could all do that, right? So Harold Hendren, believe, Harold Hendren believes in him, or, or Stu lives in him, or Gary believes in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, I thought also it's interesting that um, John Newton um, wrote a, a pamphlet called Thoughts Upon Slavery, and then he was talked about as a confession. He says, you know, my confession comes way too late. It will always be the subject of humili- humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now just shudders. I just thought it was very interesting that John Newton, you know, there's that, he wrote that, well, there's a hymn he wrote. I don't know if you ever heard it. It's called Amazing Grace. Um, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I've been found. Was blind, but now I see. You know, those... Those words are very prophetic, aren't they? I mean, it's, it's probably the greatest hymn ever written, and it comes out of this context. As John Newton is reflecting upon his own spiritual journey and how he inadequate and how that God could even save, um, well, a wretch, a wretch like him. Uh, so um, as I shared with you all last week, uh, 316, um, they are uh, numbers of hope. But we, I shared with you all last week that John 316, it comes in the context of a conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And I shared with you all last week that the, what do the numbers actually add up to? Uh, he loves, he gave, we believe, we live. Let me say that with me. He loves, he gave, we believe, and we live. Okay, so we have John 3.16, and we all know it, um, and so let's, let's start, uh, I, I tell you what, uh, why don't we all quote now, let's just quote John 3.17, ready, here we go, <laughs> silence, right, okay, so let me give you a hint, here's John 3.17, ready, indeed God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, John 3.17. So we got 316, but we don't, well, most of us don't have memorized 317. And there's some great theology in 317. Oh my gosh, it's just amazing. You got these key words here, and we're gonna just, I'm gonna reflect on it here. So you got the word condemn, you got the word sinned, you got the word uh, world. Matter of fact, in 316 and 317, the word world is mentioned three different times. That's got to be important, evidently, because if John repeats it numerous times, that's a heads up. You know what I love about this text? It, it reminds me today, because 316 leads right into 317, and what I, 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 I thought was very powerful about the idea that, that God didn't send down Jesus to bring down the hammer, Jesus, that, that God didn't send Jesus to bring down, to, to smash us. He didn't, he didn't send us Jesus down, in the words of 317, to condemn us. No, he didn't do that. What he did do was he, he gave Jesus to us in order to love us, to save us, to redeem us. There is a difference. Uh, between the idea of being hammered 
and not being condemned. I, I think it's really interesting that um, and drawn the parallel because I think that John Newton and the Apostle Paul might have had some things in common. I, I, I think that Paul's version of bringing down the hammer, he says, you know, um, he says the wages of sin is death. Paul talks about, I mean, and, but what's very powerful is that he brings his balance and he says the wages of sin are death, but there's a comma there, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord can be amen on that. You see the balance. For, God, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6, 23. He also says, you know, you were bought with a price, but not become slaves of men. I, I think that's also very interesting. There is this great piece of scripture. It's one of my favorite pieces of scripture from the Apostle Paul. He says, you know, I do the things I don't want to do. I'm paraphrasing. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And then he goes on, Oh, what a wretched man I am. And then he goes, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ that we're saved. Hear the balance? I think it's very interesting that Paul, I think he evidently had something to do. Well, and John Newton had something in common. Because, you know, with the greatest hymn that's probably ever been written is Amazing Grace, right? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See the parallels? I mean, for years, John Newton was involved in the slave market. Tragedy. He felt guilty. He said, I literally shuddered to what he had done. And yet, you know, what's interesting, the Apostle Paul, I think he did his own shuddering because he was the one who was condemning the Christians and trying to kill them as well until he had his Christian conversion. Wow. I love the imagery that in 317, that, that God didn't give us this gift of Jesus Christ to come to condemn us, to bring down the hammer, to smash us, but he came to love us and to save us. The world mentions it three times, the word world. You know, I, I love this quote from... Um, Oh, from William Barclay, he says, you know, God is the father who cannot be happy until all his wandering children have come home. God does not smash men into submission. No, no, no. He yearns over them and woos them into love. Yeah. I, I did a devotion this last week at men's breakfast. And um, so uh, I, I talked about, I talked talk about Holy Communion. I, I, spent, um, I spent the whole 25, 30 minutes and just talking about what is Holy Communion? What is the Eucharist? What does it really mean? And of course, there's all this Old Testament connection between what Jesus does and the Last Supper. You know, there's, there's literally this, this memory of the Passover that, you know, the, the children of Israel were in bondage and held in captivity for 400 years and then finally... I'm through the, you know, Moses went to Pharaoh, let my people go, and doesn't we got to go through all these plagues? And then finally, there's this one that finally convinces Pharaoh when there's the, well, the children of Israel took a lamb and they sacrificed the lamb and then they took the blood and they sprinkled above the doorpost and the death spirit came over and we call that, the children of Israel called it Passover, right? And so what's very interesting, so we have that Old Testament tradition 
that we find that, that it's connected to the sacrificial lambs. And then you fast forward to the night in which Jesus was betrayed at the Last Supper. And what are they celebrating? The Passover. And so Jesus is, once again, connecting who he is to the Passover feast that's etched in the children of Israel's minds, their history. And by the way, don't miss the detail because in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John, um, John does give us this little detail. You ready? As the sacrificial lambs are being slaughtered and sacrificed in the temple, it's the exact same time that Jesus was being sacrificed upon the cross. Don't miss the detail. Okay, so you see the connection that Jesus paid the price. Matter of fact, Paul talks about that. He says, Jesus paid the price. And what I, I, what I love about John 3.16, we, we got that, and we get that, but then you get the 3.17, and it doesn't say that, that God gave Jesus or sent Jesus to bring down the hammer. He didn't bring, a, bring him to smash us, to condemn us, but he came to love us. Okay. So, you know, I, I had this image in my head running this last week because of some things that have happened to me recently, and I guarantee you probably can relate to these. Because it's this, here's the thing, pay up or else. We don't hear that anywhere that we find in the New Testament. And the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, he doesn't say, hey, listen, Nicodemus, you're completely missing the boat. Pay up or else. We don't have that. We don't have that in 316. We don't have that in 317. No matter of fact, we have the opposite of that. We don't have pay up or else. We have that God sent Jesus, his only son, to say us not to condemn us, not to smash us, not to hammer us. So there is a difference between what we experience in life, in real life, than what we experience through the theology that we understand that we find in the Bible. So let me give you a couple examples. So pay up or else, you ready? So the other day, about on the last month, we, uh, we get our normal statement about our mortgage. And so what was very interesting, all of a sudden we saw Donna said, Harold, there's something not right here. And I said, what's wrong? She says, well, they got us down for like double mortgage. Like we didn't pay our make our payment last month. I said, well, did you, of course, did you make, of course I made the payment. And we're like value customers. The bank loves us normally because we pay right on time. We didn't have any problem, blah, blah, blah. So all of a sudden what happened was is insurance went up. Did anybody know that insurance has gone up? Okay, so insurance went up, but they didn't inform us the insurance went up, so they changed the bill. And so once the bill was changed and we sent in the other amount, all of a sudden they kicked it out because it didn't equal the amount that the bank had down for us. Of course, they didn't tell us that. So then all of a sudden we're behind. And you know what happens? Pay up or else. You know what happens when you don't pay the bank? On, they call you. Or you get a statement, and then you get a late fee. <laughs> Pay up, or else. So then you got to call them up, go through the whole rigmarole, get it all straightened out, and then you do it all over again. Pay up, or else. The other day I was in Walmart. True story. I just love Walmart. <laughs> and so, true story. So I take Donna's car to go get the 
her oil changed. And so um, I, normally I go and I know that, you know, um, I, I, normally they close like at seven o'clock. And so I, I, I got that in my head. And so, um, and so I, I go and we get the oil and I'm, I'm always, always early to go get, pick it up. I drop it off and then come. So what happened on this particular day, I got busy or so forth. And so I thought, okay, well, let me check and look on the email. I looked on their website at what time they close. And it said on their website, it closes at seven o'clock. So I got plenty of time. So I get there at 6.05, ghost town. There's no one there. I'm thinking, okay, this is not good. How am I going to get Donna's car back? As a matter of fact, I, a matter of fact when I, the camera dropped me off and the door's locked at the tire place, so I had to go all the way around through the, the garden center, and I go back there, and there's, it's like tumbleweeds. There's nobody back there. It's dark. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I don't have Donna's car. She needs to go to work tomorrow. They have my keys somewhere. Don't tell anybody, but I actually went behind the counter looking for them. Around. <laughs> I thought, what am I going to do? So I said, camera, wait for me. So a camera takes me home. I said, I guess I'll go home. I have an extra set of keys. So I'll go get the car and then I will go and just square up with them tomorrow morning. So, because Donnie needed her car. So I, there was this like voice in the back of my head thinking, you know what? Maybe I should go tell somebody that I'm going to do this. So I go to the front counter where you do the exchanges, and I waited in line, and I said, ma'am, I need to get my wife's car, but I don't have the, I don't even have any idea where the keys are, the first set of keys, but I have my second set of keys, and I'm going to take her uh, car home, and I will go there tomorrow, and I will pay them, and I'll get the keys back, and so on and forth. She says, if you drive off this property, you'll be arrested. I'm thinking, this is great. I said, but do you realize that your, e your website says, it says seven o'clock close and I'm here at six o'clock and you guys are wrong. She says, well, you drive off, you're going to get arrested. And I thought, okay, this is good because then the next headlines of the Daily Sun will not be so good. <laughs> it won't be Holy Land. <laughs> so finally she says, what's your name? And I said, my name's Harold Henry. And she says, well, let me look around. So next thing you know, okay, oh, here's your keys. They're behind the counter. I'm thinking, how'd they get back there? I mean, the, the tire place is on the other side of the store. She says, well, you know, if somebody doesn't come pay, then obviously they just bring them up here. And I think, so for future reference, future reference, if your car is over at Walmart and you're late to pick it up, just go to the front counter and there your keys will be. I'm just telling you. <laughs> pay up. Pay up or else, right? Late fee. Get arrested. Oh, here's another one. Yeah, I'm on a roll. The other day, I do everything perfectly right. Uh, they, 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 they send me my invoice about what I need to do to re-register Donna's car. So I, I fill out the paperwork. I send the check. I send in the insurance affidavit. Everything is perfect. I mail it in, expecting about a week or so later that I'm going to get that little yellow tag, that little sticker you put on your license tag. Only if it could be that easy. They send me this back and says basically in big yellow letters, stop. A stop against this registration prevents its renewal until the stop is cleared. I'm thinking, what is this? 
And it says that I cannot get my license tag until I square up with the Central Florida Expressway toll violations that I have. <laughs> I didn't even know I had any toll violations. No one told me anything. What? What is this? So then I have to get on the phone and pay these other people in order because the Florida State license tag, Randy Mask, is holding me hostage until I pay the other fee, right? Pay up or else. This is what real life is like, right, isn't it? Over and over again. Pay up or else, you're going to late fee. Pay up or else, you're going to be arrested. Pay up or else, we're going to hold your license tag hostage. Pay up or else. And here's the beauty that we find in the good news of the gospel today. Nowhere do we find in John 3.16 or in 3.17 that God says to us, pay up or else. Y'all with me? Okay, so what Paul says is the opposite. Paul says that ultimately, he says, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. You know what I think is interesting is that um, the words here, so let me teach for a second. The words here in the gospel in 16 to 17, do you realize in John 3, 16, it's the only place in the Bible that God is making, or John's making reference to God as God giving something. The only place. For God so loved the world that he gave. It's the only time the word gave or given is used, reference to God, the whole gospel. Now, well, normally what we find here is we find the word sent. So God sends someone or God has sent Jesus. And usually when it comes to sending, it's making some kind of reference that what Jesus offers the world, for example, John 3.35, the father loves the son and has placed all things in his hands. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to his son. For just as the father has left in himself, so he granted the son also to have life in himself. Uh, the works that the father has given me to complete, the very works that I'm doing testify on my behalf that the father has sent me. Over and over again. But this is in John 3.16, it's the only reference that God gave his son. I like that. You know what's interesting is that today's Father's Day. You know what's beautiful about Father's Day when you have five kids and they finally are all grown up and they actually all have a job? You don't have to pay for your own Father's Day gift. This is a beautiful thing. Matter of fact, this is what happened this week. It was like a miracle. All of a sudden, the UPS guy shows up at my front doorstep, and he leaves brand new ASIC running shoes, and I didn't have to pay for them. This is great. I love free stuff that my children give to me. Now, chances are, today's Father's Day, true story, four out of five of my children will probably either call me or text me. There's one who's always just kind of a loose cannon out there. He's going to completely forget. I'm not going to mention his name, but he just became a doctor. (laughs) 
He'll call me about Wednesday or Thursday. Oh, yeah, Dad, I forgot. It was Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> uh, so here, here's the interesting thing. You know, what's beautiful is, you know, it's Father's Day, and I didn't have to buy my own gift. When they were little, I had to buy. You know what? They're, I ended up buying my own gift for Father's Day. No, no, no. Now they have bought the gift. A gift is a gift. And, and so what my, my point is, is that God has given us this great gift. And it's not pay up or else. A gift is a gift. John 3.16 is the only place that we find it in the gospel of John that John specifically makes reference that Jesus Christ is the gift, the ultimate gift who paid up for you and me. Amen on that. Wow. Gift is a gift. You know what? There's this great story in Lakeda's book. Um, it's, it's kind of funny. It has to do with, can you put that picture of that animal up here, up there? Can you put this picture? It has to do with one of those. And so it's a, you know, it's a cow. And so evidently, Lakeda talks about his ministry of assistant um, was uh, evidently they had far, a farm or something, and they had cows. And, she's, and evidently, she evidently had a cow that evidently put her, her nose in a paint bucket. And the paint bucket got stuck on the noses, on the cow's snout. The cow was a little stubborn, a little bullheaded. And so, um, and so what's very interesting is that, um, so they finally, it took three days to track the cow down. Finally, they got the cow lassoed up and they got the, you know, the can off of the cows. Because, you know, you, you can't breathe very well when you got a, a paint can on your snout. You can't eat, you can't drink. I mean, you know, they saved the cow's life. But, you know, cow, cows are just kind of stubborn. The other day, true story, I, I was, um, about a year or so ago, I was fishing in this little pond over here, and my, my, the grands allow me to use their, their pond, and it's, they have cows. So I, I get out of the boat, and usually the cows are just out in the pasture, but on this particular occasion, they saw my truck, and I guess they thought I had something good to eat, so it was the dinner bell. Harold's got something good for me to eat. So they gather around my truck. And so when I, I got out of my boat, there was one very strong-willed cow that was there to greet me. So the cow would not back off. Now, being my family, uh, you know, my aunt and uncle lived in Paint Lick, and you know, I spent a lot of time on the farm, and I learned, I know my way around cows. So I, my grand, my uncle taught me how to shoe cows. He just said, ha, ha, ha. And usually the cows get a little squirmish, and they just kind of back off. Like they're, they're, they, they don't mess with you. But this particular cow was a little honoring. So I took my paddle, and I tapped him on the forehead, like, go away. <laughs> when he would go away? So he took about three steps back, and I think, so I finally think, you know, he's okay. He just shoot him away. So I go, and I turn my back on the cow, and I make my way to go in to get in my truck to take my fishing gear. And next thing you know, the cow comes right up on me. And then I suddenly realize it's not a cow, but it's a bull. And so the bull, literally, lifts me up on top of his head and pins me up against the truck. And I'm thinking, this is not good. 
And I was realized at that moment, I did not have a plan B. <laughs> I did not know how I was going to get out of this predicament. Fortunate for me, fortunate for me, the car was unlocked. So I reached while the cow or the bull had pushed me up against the top of the truck and I unlocked the back of the door and I was able to squirm my way into the back seat of the car and I climbed over the front seat, into the front seat and I think, okay, now what do I do? And guess what? The bull would not leave. So I thought, okay, I'll just drive around the pasture and he'll just follow me. You know what this bull did? You're not going to believe it. He got in front of my truck and we were going like this and I kept pushing him all around the pasture. Now that is one bullheaded bull. Yeah. You know, um, in the Bible, there's, okay, so Lucado refers to Nicodemus in this conversation that he has with Jesus as the most famous conversation in the Bible. Let me tell you that I think the second famous conversation, right? The second most famous conversation is the conversation that God has with Moses. And we find it, I think it's in the 32nd chapter of Exodus. And so the children of Israel are down in the valley and Moses says, I'm going to go up to the top of the mountain and I'm going to get the Ten Commandments. So while he's up there, Moses and God had this conversation. He says, Moses, you're not going to believe it. The people are down in the valley and they have turned for me and God is so angry, it's almost if you get the perception that God is ready just to nuke them. And then Moses pleads for the children of Israel, God, you can't do that. I got this. Just, I'm going to go back down there and I'm going to straighten out. I'm going to get it all straightened out. And he, basically, God says, okay, go, you need to go do something. So Moses makes his way down in the valley. Ready? And what's very interesting in that conversation before Moses makes his way down the valley, um, God refers to the children of Israel as being stiff-necked. Stiff-necked is the same thing as bullheaded. I know all about being having a stiff-necked. When you get run over by a truck, I know what it's like to have a stiff neck. The rest of my life, I'm going to have a stiff neck. I get that. But I don't have to live as a stiff neck person. There's a difference. So, um, so God refers to his people as stiff neck people. So Moses goes down. You all know the story. And he is, he's angry. So angry, he takes the Ten Commandments. What's he do with them? Ready? He throws them down. Smashes in the smithereens. And so what's very interesting in that story is God's reference to his own people of being stiff-necked, to being bullheaded. You know what I, I think it's really powerful is that when we look at this imagery that, once again, God and his wisdom, as we find in the New Testament, he gave us Jesus not to condemn the stiff-necked people, the bullheaded people. And every one of us in this room have experienced stiff-neckedness and bullheadedness. And yet, because of God's amazing grace, he still gave us the gift 
And nowhere in the Bible does it say pay up or else in reference to Jesus Christ. I close with this. My little granddaughter, she's uh, four and going on 14. And, um, and so she came um, the other day to our house and we gave her, or somewhere, I think it was a birthday or something. And she had, she's all excited. She got Play-Doh. She loves Play-Doh. You know, so I have my Play-Doh up here. So here's my, my visual aid is that, um, um, you know what drives me crazy when you got a four-year-old? They take Play-Doh and you got green Play-Doh and you got purple Play-Doh and you got yellow Play-Doh and you got orange. They mix it all up. It drives me crazy because I'm very organized. You, you can't mix it up. No, no, no. When you got a four-year-old, it gets all mixed up. What's also very interesting about a four-year-old, they do not know how to put lids back on Play-Doh. They no clue about that. They just, it just goes wherever, right? Uh, so what happens when you don't put a lid back on Play-Doh, guess what happens? It dries out, right? And then, then what happens when it dries out? It becomes very hard. And so what God's remedy to stiff-necked people, to bullheaded people who've got a hard heart, God's always trying to mold us and soften us and to be in the children that God has created us to be. We're going to sing a song here in just a second. I'm going to give you the background. I asked Sean if we could sing it, and I love this because, it, once again, it reminds me of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I'm see, blind, but now I can see. I, I, I'm, you know, there's a guy named um, Matheson. His name was uh, George Matheson. He was a, a 19th century, um, I think he was from Ireland or Scotland, and he was a pastor. And um, at the age of about, in his teenage years, he was about to go blind. And of course, there was not a remedy back there. And then he went through seminary. And in the midst of seminary, he's about to graduate to become a pastor. And he had a fiance. And this is what his fiance said. She says, you know what, George? I cannot see my way clear to go through life bound by the change of marriage to a blind man. Wow. That, he was devastated. He never married. One night, evidently, he had gone to his sister's wedding. And he was reflecting upon his life. And seeing his, wife, his sister, how happy she was, and then how, I guess he was feeling a little bit of melancholy about, well, this is what I could have had, but I, I don't have. And then he wrote down um, these words. Matter of fact, he wrote this hymn in about five minutes. And this is the words of the... O love that wilt not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that end time ocean's depths its flow may richer and fuller be. O joy that seeketh me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not in vain. The morn shall tearless be. I love this quote this last week I found. You can be bold enough to accept him. You can be humble enough to serve him. You can be strong enough to follow him. You can be open enough to believe in him. But you also can be blind enough to resist him. God 
is always trying to shape us into who we're, he has created us to be. And that's to love him and to love each other. Yeah. And nowhere in the Bible does it say, pay up or else. But it does say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believeth in him should not perish, but have 